Good morning, everyone. When Sherilyn and I were first married, we lived in a little house next to her grandma and grandpa. And in their compassion over two newly married people, they invited us over once a week to have dinner with them. They fed us. And if you know or knew Sherilyn's grandma, Dean, she was an amazing cook. She was like the pioneer woman before the pioneer woman was the pioneer woman. This, there was so much butter in everything. Everything was just delicious. Her grandpa, not such a great cook. And that came to bear one Wednesday evening when we were there sitting. And Melvin had this particular smile on his face that told us that something was off. Something was different. And we didn't know what it was different about the meal until we started digging in and we got to the mashed potatoes. The mashed potatoes did not taste like mashed potatoes. The mashed potatoes tasted like something else. And he told us with a smile on his face that they ran out of heavy cream for the mashed potatoes, so instead he used French vanilla creamer. <laughs> the mashed potatoes tasted like marshmallows, and I will tell you, Mashed potatoes should not taste like marshmallows. You expect something to taste a certain way, and once you put it in your mouth, you realize this is not what I signed up for. We know this about a lot of things, actually, about water particularly. I used to be able to drink out of the hose as a kid. Now, I wouldn't even think about doing that. Uh, and there are certain bottles of water, brands of bottled water, that I won't even touch. I'm kind of a water snob at this point. And Understanding that something should taste a certain way, something should be a certain way, it's something we all expect. It's called purity. It's called purity. We expect something to be a pure experience. We expect it to be the way it is supposed to be. We just start thinking about our spiritual lives for a second. How many times do we add French vanilla creamer into our life? We are not supposed to be adulterated. We're not supposed to be infected. We're not supposed to be polluted by additional things other than what God has designed us for as people. But how easy is it for us to defile ourselves? How easy is it for us to add things into our life that aren't supposed to be there? God doesn't want them to be there. And every single one of us, I think, in the room today has had trouble in our life at one point or another with staying pure. It's something that really is a problem we could describe more like worldliness, unholiness. Really, the problem is sin. But it's an expectation that God has. And what I want to talk about this morning is our need to rise above impurity. How the world around us wants to defile us. The world around us wants to, to drag us down into the dirt. They want to soil us. They want to infect us, indoctrinate us with things that God has never designed us to have in our lives. How do we guard our hearts from these kinds of worldly stains? How do we keep our mashed potatoes pure? How do we keep our water pure? How do we keep our hearts pure? pure, the way God intended them for, for them to be. 
And it's a question every one of us needs to ask ourselves, and particularly I would say today, it's a question that we need to leave our young people who are going away to college with. Because I know what that was like for me. I know what those experiences were like for me. Maybe you can remember back to a time where you left home, you went off to a place, and you went and did things, were around people that wanted to stain you, that wanted to change you, that wanted to mold you into their image rather than the image of God. And we need to be praying for these young people today, and we need to be preparing our young people who are going to be going away in the coming years for that moment. All of us need to remain pure. And let's rise above impurity. Let's rise above the worldly influences that just have such a tendency to drag us down into the dirt. So let's look for a couple of minutes here at some words. You'll know that I love sort of a, a basic Greek word study here. The word that is most commonly translated as pure in the New Testament is katharos. It is the same word that we get our English word catharsis from. It means pure. It's translated as pure, clean, and innocent. And the definition is really clear of dirt, clean, spotless, and unsoiled. You know what the expectation is for a glass of water for it to be pure and clean. And when it has a speck of dirt in it, when it has additives in it, you know that that is not pure anymore. It's tainted in some way. And Jesus, specifically in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 8, tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the great characteristics that Jesus highlights as, as being important to him is a pure heart. A pure heart. This isn't just about clean hands. This is not as the Pharisees would do, cleaning the outside of the cup, but having in their hearts dead men's bones. This is about the inside. This is about our, our unseen spiritual life. Our heart, our attitude, who we are on the inside. Jesus wants us to be pure. And you know, by the way, in Hebrews 4, verse, verses 12 through 13, the Hebrew writer really tells us that God is uniquely qualified to inspect our purity. I may not be able to look at you and say whether or not you have some secret hidden sin in your life. I may never know that about you, but God does. God knows. God sees as if we were naked before him. That's a frightening thought. It's a frightening thought to think about how, how much God knows about us. Not only what we're doing, but what we're thinking. Our motivations, our attitudes, the way we feel about other people. God knows those things. And he knows how pure we are. He knows how much importance we place on being clean and being pure before him, unsoiled in that way. He knows whether or not we are pure, but we have the choice to become defiled. It's this Greek word, koino, which is really defiled or common. It is really by its definition unclean. It's the opposite of clean and pure. It's profane. It's ritually unacceptable. And as we read in our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus talks about defilement. And the Pharisees really had an understanding of defilement that was different than Jesus' understanding. You remember all the importance they placed on washing their hands and eating certain things and all of the rituals that they would go through. 
they viewed certain things as proper and clean. And Jesus has to correct their understanding a bit. In verse 16 of Matthew 15, Jesus says, Are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? We know what Jesus is talking about there. I won't go into details. But verse 18, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You notice of the list that he gives there of the things that come out of the heart. He says some pretty heinous things, really. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. But what was the very first thing he said that comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. It's not just enough to not do bad things. But in our heart, that's where evil thoughts come from. And evil thoughts, as Jesus would talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, evil thoughts, hateful thoughts, are just as bad as doing the act itself. Lustful thoughts are just as bad as doing the act it itself. And we see Jesus laying the gauntlet down here. John talked about, in Bible class, really this radical kind of approach, or in his sermon, actually, a radical kind of approach that the Lord gives. And this is radical. You see this is radical. To think about what goes on in my heart as becoming important to God. Not just what I do, but what's going on inside. And that's where we can become defiled. That's where we can become unclean and impure. It's not about what comes out of our bodies. It's what goes out of our hearts that's really the issue here. To eat with unwashed hands is not the issue here, but it's what defiles the person on the inside. Are we defiled on the inside? And how do we guard against that? Is a question that the psalmist really approaches in Psalm 119, verse 9. I think this is, if you're going to listen to anything, if you're going to think about anything, potentially going off to college, being away from your parents, ask this question in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? How do we keep our way pure? How do we stay undefiled? How do we stay the way God intended us? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we keep from being defiled? This is our guard. This is our shield. It's not about what you think. It's not about what your parents thought. It's not about what your friends are doing. This book, God's Word, is what we store in our hearts, and it creates a hedge around our lives. It keeps us pure. It helps us from becoming defiled. How can I stay pure? I've got to know this book. And by the way, you're not going to impart the wisdom of this book 10 minutes before your kid goes off to college. It is a lifetime. And by the way, it takes a village. It's not just one person's job. It's not just one family's job. It's all of our jobs. And extrapolating it out even to people who are just part of our congregation, maybe not going to college, maybe not going off to a new place where they could become influenced for evil, 
Every single one of us needs to be encouraging and demanding, expecting purity from one another. When we see just the smallest hint of defilement coming in our midst, we need to address it. That's why we have elders who watch out for our souls. That's why we have thoughtful, wise, studied members who are able, with love and gentleness and concern, to turn back a brother when they've sinned. That is our job together, is to keep ourselves pure, to stay out of the mud of defilement. You remember Job. Job is a great example. We're reading about Job in our scripture reading through the week. Job 27 through 31 this week. But if you go back to the beginning of Job's story, the second time Satan came to address and try to provoke Job, what God said about Job is important. He says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. One test down of Job's faith, and he still held his integrity. He still stayed pure. Job was unlike a lot of people on the earth. He says there is none like him on the earth. A man like Job, a man of integrity. And when we talk about purity, we are talking about integrity. We're talking about living in an upright way. We're talking about being confident in the word of God and following it, obeying it, being that kind of person from the inside out in the way we live our lives. Job was that way, and God recognized that about him. But he recognized also that it's not a very common characteristic. I would hope that every single one of us in this room could stay pure. And I hope that is the case. But I also know the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are a lot of people walking down that road. We need to be very careful because purity is something that we all need to focus on. It is something we all need to address in our lives. And it's not something to mess around with, as we'll talk about in a little bit. You think about from James' perspective in James chapter 1, verse 27, his summary really of religion is all about purity, is all about integrity. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice how he's talking about pure and undefiled religion. He talks about the things that we do to help the, the marginalized and the unfortunate, the, the orphans and the widows, but then he ends it with, by saying to keep ourselves unstained from the world. My wife loves laundry. I don't know why. She loves it. If, there, if you ever want to talk to Sherilyn about something and she's kind of in, in her shy, sort of introverted bubble, all you got to do is just talk about laundry and you're in. You're, you're in. She loves it so much. She loves cleaning things. She loves finding out the most optimal pro product to use on a stain. And she loves getting stains out. It feels very accomplished every time she gets a stain out. We need to love being unstained in the same way, even more so in our spiritual lives. We need to not, like I'm the guy who just, you know, I'll have a stain on my pants and I'll, I, I don't care, it doesn't matter, you know, no big deal, I'll just walk around like that forever if, if I was left to my own devices. 
That's, that cannot be how we live spiritually. Because that is easy, to walk around stained. Stained by this world, influenced by the world, with mud all over us from this world. We can do that. We can live every day of our lives like that. But pure religion, undefiled religion, keeps us unstained, unspotted from the world. So let's talk about a couple things that we can do, three things that we can do to choose purity. Purity is not something that just happens to us, by the way. Purity is not just something we stumble into. Purity is a choice we all have to make. And one of the things that we can do to choose purity is obviously to think pure thoughts. Paul there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, is really focused on our thoughts and the things that we think about. When he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You may very well be in a situation where you are tempted to think impure thoughts. I ride my scooter to and from work every day. Not not like a, a vroom vroom scooter, a, a little like kind of push. It's electric, but you know, I, I can get this thing in and out of spaces that you couldn't normally get a big old vehicle. And I love it. One of the things I get to do is, is ride down Tempe Town Lake to work. It's beautiful. Every morning, every evening, I get to ride down the lake. Here's the problem though, especially in the summertime, there are people there who could use a lot more clothing. And so one of the challenges that I have in riding down to and from work is trying to balance staring at my shoes while making sure I'm going in the right direction. Because I know that if I just let my eyes wander, then I'm going to get in trouble. And I'm constantly reminded of Paul's words here. You think about pure things. You think about lovely things. You think about wholesome things. You think about things that are good. And you can choose that, by the way. You don't have to just be a slave to the impulses of your thoughts. You can choose what to think about. And when you find yourself thinking about something that is impure, if you, th if you find yourself making assumptions about someone, starting to have bitterness in your heart towards someone, starting to be angry about a situation, you are not a slave to your thoughts. You can choose to think better things. You can choose in love, as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, you can choose to believe all things. You can choose to think loving thoughts, hopeful thoughts. Something we can all be doing is changing our thoughts, thinking about things that are good and wholesome. That is something we all can do. Another thing we can do is to treat all sin seriously. I know we like to think about quote-unquote big sins or quote-unquote little sins, and the big sins usually are the sins that we're not practicing or participating in oftentimes. We might, we might put a big priority on this particular sin or that particular sin, and I won't even name them because that's just going to limit what I'm talking about here. You know what you think of maybe as a big sin, and, and maybe it's not something you're involved in. It's something those people out there do. Little sins, though, Little sins, quote-unquote, those might be the sins that I'm struggling with. But look, all sin is serious. It really is. And Jesus, in not a hyperbolic way, I will add, in Mark chapter 9, told us about the seriousness of sin. This is something that 
Alan talked about in one of his last lessons when he was here, Mark 9. Really, this focus on if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell and unquenchable fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cut off your hand. Whatever it takes to keep you out of sin, you need to take it seriously. You need to take sin deadly serious. Because even little sins, quote unquote, even small things, represent the father of lies in action. Remember, I'll go all the way back to Genesis. What did, what did Satan have to say to get Eve to sin? He just had to add one word. That's all he did. You shall not surely die. And the devil is the father of lies. And he will try to get us to think that, oh, this isn't so bad. This attitude isn't so bad. This feeling I have, this looking and longing and lusting that I'm having, this isn't so bad. Be careful, because even the smallest amount of impurity, I, you think about water, right? You think about water, one drop of sewage. Grab a giant glass of water. You put one drop of sewage in that water. Are you going to want to drink it? I'm not going to want to drink it. I heard a study that they said something along the lines of how most modern Americans eat like 17 cockroaches every year or something crazy like that. And I'm like, how? How on earth does that happen? <laughs> Apparently, they're in our cereal or whatever it is. Like, they, they're there. Like, now do you really want to, you know, frosted mini-wheats? Like, is that what you're looking for? When you start to think about something becoming defiled, even the smallest amount of it in there is, is frightening and shocking. It should not be that different in our spiritual lives. Even the smallest amount of sin, we need to root out, get out of there before it's too late. And that kind of leads to this third point here. We need to catch it early. You know what happens when you let something entrench into your life. You know what happens when the roots of sin start to just spread out through your heart. It is really hard to get that thing out of there. You talk to anybody who's had issues with addiction or bad habits that they've developed over the years. And trying to address those things years and years and years later is, is it's not impossible. But sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels that way when you've just let some attitude or some practice entrench itself in your life, and it's hard to get rid of it. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 verse 15 talks about the root of bitterness that might spring up and defile us. The root of bitterness that he's talking about there really is all about disobedience to the Lord. It's a throwback to Moses' day when he was warning the people to follow the Lord God. The root of bitterness that springs up can just take hold. It can just consume us. And what happens when we see sin start early? If we address it right away, then it's not as big of a problem to deal with. It's easier to take out. It's easier to get rid of than something that we've let fester for years and years and years. That's why training up our little ones, training up our young ones as they're young is so important because we form and we help encourage those kinds of habits that will lead them to success and purity. It's the foundation that dad prayed about, 
the foundation that we've helped lay for our little ones that will give them their best possible chance to be successful in the Lord's work going forward. We need to catch sin early. And so purity is a choice. As we think about rising above impurity and defilement, it is a choice that we all have. And look, I know purity kind of seems like a generic topic. I've been intentionally generic here. Because what sins do you struggle with? What sins come in and, and want to defile you? That might be very different from what defiles me. That might be very different from the things that I struggle with. Now, I may not struggle with the same kinds of things that you struggle with, but whatever it is, whatever is going on in your life, whatever pulls your heart away from God, whatever that is, I think there's some tools that we can all use to address the things going on in our own lives and in our own hearts. And so let's open up the toolbox and maybe think about a few things. We can all meditate on passages like Mark chapter 9, as Jesus was talking there about really just ruthlessly eliminating things that cause us to sin out of our lives. We could focus on passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8, where Paul talks about our sexual purity and how we are made for holiness. We're not made for impurity. We're not made for defilement. God did not design us so that we could just live however we wanted. God had an intention for our lives. He had a, a, a plan for us, and he wants us to live according to that plan, live up to those standards, not only in every aspect of our purity, but especially sexual purity, which is very, very important to the Lord. But also Daniel, chapters five, ch chapter 1, verses 5 through 21. The story of Daniel and his friends is a great story about purity. As they were encouraged, they were commanded, in fact, by the king to eat certain foods, which God told them not to eat. And so they took a stand. They took a stand with the Lord's help to not do the things that would defile them. You could just say, well, it's just food. It's just drink. It's just a little bit of food. It's not a big deal, right? God will understand. They're in a foreign land. They're, they're off in a, in a place where they hadn't intended to be, and, and whatever. Daniel and his friends could have excused it away, but instead they said, no, we're not going to do it. And the Lord blessed them in that. Something that we can all do in taking a stand. As we read these passages, we read and meditate on these passages, we know that it is not impossible for us in this world, this dark world we live in, to take a stand and to be pure. But we can also ask ourselves a question. Really just introspectively think about when am I most susceptible to impure thoughts? For you, this is going to be a different answer for you than it is for me. I mean, I could tell you my answer, but we could go on and on with that. This is personal for you. Think about it. Address it in your own life. When am I the most tempted in the day to think about something impure? Maybe it's when you're driving. Maybe it's when you're sitting in front of the computer. Maybe it's when you're all by yourself. Maybe it's when you're riding your scooter down Tempe Town Lake. When are you most susceptible to impure thoughts? And be very clear about when that happens and take steps to avoid it. Take steps to, to make sure that you're remaining pure in those moments. Maybe we can pray like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think sometimes we 
We think that it's all about me. I've got to knuckle down and I've got to be the one to, to be pure and I have to, with my willpower and everything, just... This is an act of creation that God can do in us. God is the one who defines what's pure. And praying to him, asking him, as we talked about in our first lesson, the power that we have in prayer to access the most powerful being that's ever existed, who spoke in just a word, and everything was created, as we're going to study about in just a few weeks. And he can create in us a pure, clean heart, as the psalmist prayed. We can also do a purity check on ourselves. And this is an important characteristic, or an important part of this. Do a purity check on yourself and use a close friend for support. Look, I'm the, I'm the guy who I could have mustard on my face, I could have junk all over the house, and I would just walk right by it, I'd see myself in the mirror, and I wouldn't even notice it. If I'd seen it long enough, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm blessed to have other people in my life who clean me up and make me a little bit more presentable. We all need those kinds of people in our life because when we see something we've seen dozens and dozens of times, we may not even notice it. Doing a purity check on ourselves, though, and having a close friend, someone we love, someone we trust, to sit there and say, yeah, yeah, you have an issue with that. Yeah, you get a little bit bent out of shape about things. You have a bitterness issue going on. Yeah, yeah, I know. I struggle with those things too. And, and you can connect with someone, do a purity check on yourself though, because the Lord is already doing a purity check on you. Think about that. Think about how much the Lord God knows about your purity. You probably want to be in on the same information that he has. So start looking inwardly and seeing what corrections you need to make. And then finally, one of the great blessings we have in the church, in our relationships with each other, is to be able to talk to each other, to be able to lean on each other. And one of the things we can all do is ask somebody, what have you courageously done to keep yourself pure? Purity sometimes and being holy and, and dealing with our sins sometimes feels like a one-on-one -on -one battle between me and the devil. But we're all facing it together. Every single one of us has gone through things to maintain our purity. And hopefully, we can be there to support you as you can be there to support us, to encourage us to stay pure and to learn from each other. We learn about how to be pure. We learn in that great story of Joseph, right? We learn in that great story of Joseph how to stay pure. One way to stay pure is to, you know what? I'm leaving my coat behind. I'm out of here. And we can look to examples like he gave. We can look to examples of brothers and sisters who've gone through similar things, and we can learn from those. And we can mimic those things and, and follow those things in our own lives. Just a few things that we can do to, to keep ourselves pure, to remind ourselves that purity is so important to the Lord. Purity is so important to God. It's easy to think that I can go off to a place where no one sees me and no one knows me, and I can just do whatever I want. It's easy to think that. The devil has us convinced sometimes that just because no one sees and just because no one knows, everything will be fine. But you know, we're forgetting about God and we're forgetting about the fact that he always sees us. He's always with us. There's never a time where we get to drop our purity guard and just defile ourselves however much we want and maybe later we can fix it all. 
don't put yourself in the prodigal situation, willfully going out and eating with the pigs, because maybe you won't have a chance to return. Choosing impurity is never something God intended for you to do, just like mashed potatoes should taste like mashed potatoes. You need to be the kind of person who are, intent, who are living up to your potential. Be the kind of person that God intended you to be. And rise above worldliness, rise above the world's stains. If we can all encourage each other to do that over the next week, I think we'll be on a lot better place to go out into the world and make a difference. When we're unstained from the world, and we can help encourage them to cleanse those stains through the blood of Jesus. If you have not yet given your life to the Lord, then you are stained by your sins. The Lord has not taken away the stain of your sins. If you're ready to have him, take away those stains of your sins to stand before the Lord God pure, clean because of the blood of Jesus. And we stand ready to baptize you this morning to help you begin that walk with the Lord of purity, of love, and of hopefulness looking forward to heaven as your reward someday. Won't you come as we stand and sing?